Amen. Good morning uh, to the Driven Church. Happy Easter, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, let me go ahead and uh, uh, put out a little disclaimer uh, before your children get out there and uh, expose me, okay? Uh, I knew where the stash of eggs were at for a few days now. And there have been times I've been here at the church where the cravings have overtaken me and I have not been able to resist the flesh and I have found myself migrating into the storage area where the thousands of eggs were being hidden from all of you but not me and I have consumed from time to time a, a Snickers, a Milky Way, a Reese cup, whatever it was that God was providing that given day when I reached in there and I extracted that egg. Now to uh, my defense, after consuming that, I pray and I say, oh God, let me pray over these eggs and make this a very spiritual experience for the kids. And I sense the Lord speak to me. And the Lord said, Trent, you have just created true Easter eggs. Maybe not indulge me. When those kids find those empty eggs, those eggs will be empty just like the tomb. And so you can just say to them, those are real Easter eggs right there, and Brother Trent did it for you, right? Right? Yeah, put out the real Easter egg, okay? All right, so when they find those, and tears are running down their face, and Janelle, you have to look at Tim and tell him, wipe the tears off your face, Tim. You've got plenty of when it happens, you just say, those are the real Easter eggs, empty as the tomb. All right, all right, all right. Hey, uh, uh, I was watching something um, actually this week, but I had actually heard about it, I don't know, about a month and a half ago or so. Uh, and, and what I had seen uh, was something regarding a set of twins. Uh, from Virginia, it was a, a couple of girls named Brittany and Brianna Dean. They were 33 years old. And before I go uh, any further, I just want you to know, and on a serious, serious note, you guys know that we basically just work our way through the scripture, right? And we're in the book of Exodus. And there's always been uh, an understanding that if the Lord leads on any given Sunday to do something apart from that, that's the direction we would go. This happens to be that Sunday, so bear with me. If you want back in the book of Exodus, we'll be right back there next week, okay? And we'll be dealing with frogs, gnats, and flies, all right? And the plagues, okay? All right? But there, there was uh, these two sisters from Virginia named uh, Brittany and Brianna Dean, who are 33 year, years old, who happened to be identical twins. And, uh, and I worked with a guy who had twins, and, and he used to tell me about going up to twi Twinsburg. I think it's uh, Twinsburg, Ohio. And they had this huge festival up there for twins, celebrating twins. And, uh, well, these two young ladies, they go to Twinsboro, uh, Twinsburg, uh, uh, Ohio, and there they meet two brothers by the name of Josh and Jeremy Sawyers, age 34. And so what ends up happening is these two identical twins, young ladies, fall in love with these two identical twins' brothers. Hit that first slide. And this is them right there. All right. And these two twins meeting at the twin festival, get to know one another. A year later, they are back at the twins festival, and the two brothers 
propose at the same time to the two sisters. Okay? Then the two couples get married in a joint uh, um, uh, wedding ceremony. Right there they are. And then sometime later, these two twins who had married two identical twins uh, allowed the Lord's goodness to manifest itself in their life. And now they're expecting. And now, uh, let, let me give you a little background on these twins. When they met and they got married, they didn't just get uh, married uh, uh, at Twinsburg, uh, it wasn't just two twins. They got married by identical twin pastors on top of that. Well, a few months later, uh, the children are born, shot, and this is Jax and Jet. Quaternary twins is what they're called. In essence, I mean, the very essence of it is this. They are first cousins. But on a genetic level, they are identical twins themselves. They both possess the exact same DNA as their parents, meaning one or the other of those children could pass 100% for the opposite parent's child. Meaning if you were to do any type of genetic coding and whatnot, they would look as though maybe they were born uh, at the same time by the same parent. Right? And you say, well, you can go ahead and pull that off, Clark. All the moms are there saying, oh, Jackson, Jet. Right? The reason I bring all this up and even mention these twins is because we're going to be talking about a twin today. And uh, it's a, a twin that you and I know in the scripture uh, as one, and I hate to use this term, but this is how you will identify this twin, one doubting Thomas. Right? Uh, the scripture will, will refer to him as Thomas Didymus. The word Thomas in the Hebrew, Toma, literally means twin. The word Didymus in the Greek means twin. So when John was writing this account about Thomas, there was one thing John wanted you to understand about this individual who's actually, his name was Judas. What he wanted you to know above everything else is that because of, of the redundant nature of the name, right, Thomas Didymus, is that he was a twin. I mean, if you get nothing else from reading that and understanding what Thomas was wanting to get across to us was the fact that this man is a twin. What is the significance of this? Well, we're about to find out. We're going to look at some things. I would go so far as to say his experience as a twin may be one of the reasons he responds the way he does at certain points in his life. We look at the scripture and we know about him doubting or what we perceive to be doubting. And so he's labeled with his name, Doubting Thomas. But in all reality, when I read the scripture, and listen, he's only basically alluded to in the gospel of John. His name is mentioned amongst the name of the disciples in the other gospels. But he, but he is actually only identified or his story is only elaborated on during uh, the gospel of John. Okay, are you with me? On three different occasions, John tells a story that shines light on this individual that you and I would call Doubting Thomas. And when I'm reading this story, I have a tendency to find myself thinking to me, I want to be like Thomas. 
Now, that's not someone that you and I would approach Easter Sunday morning reading the scripture that we're so familiar with, thinking, that's who I want to be like. But I want to look at a few things in regards to the life of Thomas, and I want you guys to see a few things, and I believe on this Easter Sunday that if we can leave this place with some of the characteristics and attributes that he possessed, you and I would be better for it. And the world that we live in, our circles of influence would benefit from us carrying these same type of attributes into our life. Can we do that this morning? Well, of course we can. I'm in control up here. <laughs> well, I mean, you can leave, but it ain't going to stop me. I'll preach, well, to carry if I had. Well, she may leave. I don't know. As long as I'm mic'd up, I got a, pod crowd, a podcast crowd. <laughs> All right? Okay, so let's look at some scripture, okay? All right, let's see. Uh, uh, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now, we're going to read through this scripture. We're going to extract, as we read through this scripture, some of these characteristics. And the moment you read some of them, you're like, yes, that's me. I wish that was me, right? Okay, John chapter, this is an incredible portion of scripture, right? The news had traveled to Jesus about, uh, from Bethany about Lazarus who had fallen ill, ill unto death, right? I'll throw some King James on you, right? Ill unto death, right? And uh, uh, so word is sent out to Jesus basically uh, pleading or at least sowing the seed to encourage him to come back to Bethany to rescue Lazarus, okay? That's where we're at. And this is what the scripture says. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick, right? When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he, stared, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now listen, when you're reading this scripture with a full understanding of what is taking place and you understand the context, when he makes this statement right here, let us go back to Judea, at this moment, I guarantee you, the vast majority of the disciples are thinking this. Go back? What are you thinking? Do you not remember what happened the last time we were there? They were wanting to kill you. Right? So you can imagine the disciples hearing this where Jesus alludes to the fact of going back and them saying, hold on, let me straighten things out. Have you ever tried to straighten God out? Miss Ann, you know what I'm talking about, right? God, God, I've done that. I said, God, there's some things you just don't understand. You've been there, right? We've all been there in our foolishness. We've done this, right? And so, and so this is what he says. Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend, our friend, 
Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, the, this is the reasoning, right? The rationale that would, would we deal with God sometimes and, and he's leading us in a direction that doesn't, doesn't uh, rationally make sense, right? We, we, we try to kind of navigate that. We, 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 we try to, to interject our, our own reasoning and logic. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Let him sleep. Right? Let the matter go for your sake and ours. Don't fool yourself into thinking, man. Don't, don't think for a second, man, they wasn't covering themselves. We ain't going back there. You don't need to go back there. And if we go with you, it's just as dangerous for us as it will be for you. I mean, you can see that, right? And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now this is the introduction of Thomas Didymus, the twin. Have you ever heard the term, you only get one chance or to make a first impression? You've heard that, right? This is the first impression that Thomas Didymus makes within the context of the scripture. Why we don't read this and come away with an impression of Thomas? The first impression? Man, when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this is Thomas the Bold. Right? I'm not thinking doubting Thomas. I'm thinking bold Thomas. This is Thomas's response to Jesus at that moment. Then Thomas, known as Didymus, or the twin, said in the company of Jesus and to the rest of the disciples, this is what he says. Let us also go that we may die with him. Die with him. I can imagine at that moment the other disciples looking at Thomas and almost trying to fan him down a little bit, cool him off. You know, not because there's times in our lives when we're willing to make radical moves for God that other believers will take offense at our radical trust in God and will say, man, you just need to kind of uh, temper that a little bit. And the reason they'll express this tempering response is because your radical response in following Jesus casts so much light on their apathy or their unwillingness to pursue him with a passion that it becomes extremely uncomfortable to them and they'll dismiss your radical notions or your radical obedience. And you can imagine this kind of, whoa, 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 whoa. I love how the New Living Translation words these or, or describes these words or translates these words for, uh, for Thomas. This is what it says in the New Living Translation. Thomas the twin said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. That's a pretty accurate interpretation or translation of that scripture. Thomas's, Thomas's declaration was one of absolute boldness. Willing to lay it. If Jesus is dying, I'm willing to go with him and I'll die with him. Right? Are you tracking with me? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you think as followers of Jesus on Easter Sunday that it's not going to be required of us, Reuben, 
to be bold in the spirit, to be strong in God? Do you think that we can honor God in a culture that's in so much conflict today? Do you think it's not going to take boldness to take a stand? Forget taking a stand. Do you think it's not going to take boldness just to do what is right, period? I'm not talking about in a, in a political arena. The vast majority of us would never find ourselves there. I'm talking about at the shopping line at Walmart, doing the right thing. When you know the, the product's been mislabeled, and instead of being honest, you say, well, I'm going to take this blessing from God, and I'm going to take this item at discounted price. And then kind of usher it under the provision of God. Come on. Or are we going to do the right thing? I'm talking about that. I'm talking about boldness just to be right about the things that we do and the things that we say and the, the character we demonstrate before others. It takes boldness to do that. And to take it to another level, to make significant stands in different arenas, absolutely it takes boldness. I wish I was bold like it. This kind of reminds me, I remember Chuck Swindoll saying this when he was addressing this very scripture. He said this whole situation and his response was very similar to Todd Beamer's. How many of you guys know who Todd Beamer is? You know who Todd Beamer is? I, when I, once I tell you who Todd Beamer is, you'll say, oh, I know who he is. Todd Beamer at 32 years old was on flight 93. You remember this? He was one of the few people that was able to radio out, call out, get on the phone, authorities and even his family. And he was the one that was on the, the phone with the GTE. Believe me, GTE was still around and functioning. He was on the phone with the GTE operator. When he was telling them what was taking place, the, the plane had been hijacked. But there's a group of us men. And we've decided that we're not going to allow this plane to do any more destruction than is necessary. We're about to take these jokers out. We're about to overtake the cockpit and we'll send this thing crashing to the ground. And the GT operator said the last words Todd Beamer spoke as his phone hit the floor were these words. Let's roll. Right? I'm telling you, in this moment, when Jesus is saying to the disciples, we're going back to Judea, even in the face of, of absolute danger, life-threatening danger, when the rest of them were trying to persuade him not to go, Thomas, paraphrased in the Trent Evans translation, literally says in this moment, let's roll. Do you not want to be like Thomas? Man. <laughs> I'm like, make me like Thomas. Make me. Everybody wants to be Peter. You want to be John. Right? You want to be the apostle. Make me like Thomas. Yeah, make, make me like Thomas. And then in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, we see something else about Thomas. The good thing about it is he's only mentioned one more time, right? So we're, we're, we're moving on through this pretty quick. Do not let your hearts be troubled is what Jesus says. Now, you know what's just taking place? Let me give you a little bit of context. Monday, Thursday, foot washing, the Passover. All of this has just taken place. They're in that setting. Can you, you see that? Can you picture that? Can you visualize that? And these are the words that Jesus is speaking. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
For in my father's house are many rooms or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you, may, you also may be where I am. And then he says these words. You know the place or the way to the place where I am going. Right? Notice structure of sentence. This isn't a question. This is a statement of assumption on the part of Jesus. Meaning what? He has taught them. They have sit under his teaching now for three years. Surely to goodness they understand what Jesus is saying. Right? Now I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to be honest with you. I've been in those class settings. You know what I'm talking about? Where the professor is kind of rattling on. And he's saying all these things and he's passing on all this information. And the professor is assuming that everyone in the class knows what he's talking about. And he's going from point A to point B with the understanding that you understand. And none of you understand. Right? And everyone in the classroom is just pleading internally. Would someone please ask him to explain that? But no one is willing to step out of there because of their pride and say, I, I'm not as sharp as everyone else in this room. Could you explain this to me? Right? Have you been there? And then, You know what? If you haven't been there, let me explain how this typically works. When the class is dismissed, the class typically huddles and they find consolation in the ignorance of everyone else in the class. Right? You know what I'm talking about. You get in this group and you're like, I don't know what Mr. Bill's talking about. Do you? No, I don't know either. Well, good. I'm not the only one. Right? And so Jesus makes this statement. It's a statement of assumption that you've, you've understood. You've been here for three years. You know the way to the place where I'm going. No one speaks up but Thomas. He's honest. And he's transparent. I want to be honest with who I am, the needs of my heart, the issues I have. I want to be honest and I want to be transparent. And I'm not going to give in to the peer pressure of everyone else not willing to step out there and be honest and transparent. Thomas, regardless of what everyone else is willing to do, he does it. And this is, how, this is what Thomas says. And Thomas said to him, Lord, talking to Jesus, we don't know where you are going. You see what Thomas literally in that moment expresses what I just told you. He already knew the other cats didn't know either. You notice he doesn't just say, I don't know. Because he knows what's happening. He knows they're all in this, this state of confusion. Now he could have just simply said, hey, 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 Jesus, the other guys get this, but I don't. But that's not the truth either. He knows. And he says right there at that moment, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And every other disciple in that room is thinking, man, I hope he explains it now. Thomas took the bullet for us. And now the explanation is coming, right? Jesus is going to explain this. I can imagine this. I can imagine. I'm telling you, that cat is the hero in that class, right? He is the hero. Jesus said, you, you, you know the place. You know the way. And Thomas said, I don't know it. 
I've been with you for three years. I've been following, willing to die. I've seen it. I've seen the dead raised. I've seen the blind healed. I've seen the crippled walk. I've seen all this, but I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I don't, I don't know. Oh, Tim, that we might be able to say and be so honest with God and just say to God, when things confuse us, when things rattle our faith, when things leave us a little undone and, and twisted, that we would have the confidence, the honesty, and the transparency to approach God and just simply say to God, Lord, I, I know what you're saying. I hear it. I just don't get it. Don't, don't, don't find fault with it. I just don't get it. You know what James says, the brother of Jesus? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God for it. He gives liberally. What? Watch this. Without finding fault. <laughs> His response to Jesus is, Lord, I don't know. Do you know what Jesus' response to Thomas was? You'll know this scripture. And Jesus responds to Thomas. And this is what he says. And he says this because of Thomas's inquiry. Without the inquiry of Thomas, his honesty and his transparency, these words are not spoken. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Those words aren't spoken unless an honest, transparent man puts himself out there to be shamed and ridiculed for his ignorance. And I'm telling you, I want to be that man. I want to be willing to bury my pride, appear ignorant if necessary, pay whatever cost is appropriate to find and understand what it is that God wants me to do. You wonder why I stand before you this morning and say, make me like Thomas? Oh, we all need to be bold, don't we? We all need to be honest and transparent. Otherwise, we walk in ignorance. One more scripture. You're like, Trent, man, this is record time. This is a long scripture. It's found in John chapter 20. This is the scripture we're familiar with, with Thomas, right? This is the doubting Thomas scripture. What can be extracted out of this in his lowest moment when, when, when Thomas ascends to the center of the arena in this, in this epic moment for him to shine as he has shined up to this point? His response is one that we would categorize with a negative connotation. And say, there he is, his true colors shining through, full of doubt and unbelief. Well, let's revisit this real quick. And we'll see if that's really what's taking place. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, let's not forget, he's a twin. One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. You remember this? When Jesus appeared to the disciples the first time around, Thomas isn't with them. Let me ask you a question. I wonder why he wasn't with them. Maybe Thomas wasn't hiding out like they were hiding out. You ever thought about that? 
Maybe Thomas was, was center street, Jack. Front row. While the others were ducking and hiding. Consider that as a possibility. Because we know where he wasn't. Locked up in a closet, man. Scared to death. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Okay. Right? You mean lying Peter told me that? Right? Oh, okay, I'm supposed to take Peter's word. Man lied three times, denied Jesus. And the rest of you cats in are hiding out, scared to death. Won't go out on the streets. Oh, yeah, they're a credible source. Let me bank my, let me bank my faith, and my eternal security, my place with God, my relationship with God on these cats. You're like, why, why didn't Thomas just believe them? I don't know, would you? Probably not. I want to tell you something about Thomas I kind of like right here. I like this, what he, what's about to happen. This is what he says. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know what he was saying right there? And this is what you need and this is what I need. I want my own experience with Jesus. It's great that you had an encounter with Jesus, but I need my own experience. Peter, I'm glad you were here hiding out when he showed up behind locked doors. John, I'm glad you were here. I'm glad all you guys were here. But I can't live off what you've experienced. I need a real encounter. I need a counter. I mean, I need an encounter that's tangible. I need to touch him like you'd say you touched him. I need to see him. No wonder they were believing. They had seen something that Thomas hadn't seen. And Thomas was literally in that moment saying, I want an experience of my own. Do you blame him? Listen, I've told my children. When, when Taylor was small, I told her, I said, baby, I said, you need, you need Jesus for yourself. Hey, Daddy will pray with you. Oh, I prayed with her. I did. Daddy will read with you. Daddy will try to sing with you. <laughs> I said, try. But girl, you need it. You need him. The transition from this life to eternity. I can't carry you there. Those same words are spoken to Clark Evans. I encourage him. Son, go deep. Go hard. Go fast. With passion. Pursue Jesus for yourself. Because I can't carry you. I can't carry you there. You need your own encounter with Jesus. And Thomas is saying basically the same thing. Now check this out. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. A week later. Now he sat with these cats for a week listening to their claims. Now here's the problem. 
They're making outlandish claims, but you know what's still happening? The doors are still locked. What does the scripture say? Though the doors were locked. Do you see? Do you hear what I'm about to say? I'll tell you one of the reasons their words were not so convincing to Thomas. Oh, you've had this encounter with Jesus? Why are your doors still locked? Why are you still so afraid? You know, do you get that, Ruby? You still understand? And that's what the world does. This is the reason we need to be more like Thomas. The world's looking at us and they're saying, oh, you make these radical you know, claims about your love and your passion for Jesus. Man, you look, smell, and act like everyone else. Every time something arises that, that derails everyone else's life, it derails yours too. What they're looking for is an unlocked life where Jesus has access to. What they're looking for is people to respond to the same conditions that they find themselves in in a manner that's consistent with a relationship with Jesus. No wonder Thomas looked at him. Can you imagine that? After one, two, three, four, Thomas sat back like, why are the doors still locked? If this, if this is really going, why you? Why the dead boat? Reasonable, isn't it, Ronnie? Reasonable. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, This is something else we need in this moment, like Thomas. We need a direct conversation with Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty sweet, isn't it? He singles Thomas out, right? And you're like, Yeah, but he singles Thomas out because Thomas got some issues. And what? What's your point? Yeah, what's your point? Oh, you issue free? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you're at the wrong church. This is issue church. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know you people. It's an issue church. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. And he singles Thomas out. And he speaks directly to Thomas, a man of issue. Make me like Thomas. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. You know what he's saying? You can see this, right? Come here, come here. I can see Jesus doing this to Thomas. And it soon becomes this. <laughs> you know that? You know that? You can almost visualize that, right? He gives Thomas what Thomas needed. His own race. His own experience. His own encounter. His own conversation. Made me like Thomas. Even... When Jesus exposes my shortcomings and failures, I would rather be exposed in the company of Jesus with all my failures and shortcomings than not be exposed because I'm not in his company. Who else can be trusted? 
with all your issues better than Jesus. Hey, I love my wife. I got some issues, man. I got some issues that only Jesus can be trusted with. You know what? I don't want to fry her brain. You know what I'm talking about? I don't want to break her. She don't, you know what? She's got some issues. I rebuke you, Satan. My young sister ever said you. Escort this young lady out. Listen, listen. And there's times, listen, there's times that I've been doing this and she's been doing it. Times that I've prayed and, and she's prayed and I've gone to her and, and she's come to me and it's been one of those interactions where you're like, this isn't for you. This is just between me and God. This is something I'm working out with me and God. And you know what you do in those moments? You say, that's between you and God. And you let them work that stuff out, don't you, Jim? Because if it's an issue for, between her and God and you and God, the last thing you need to be doing is getting your dirty hands in on God's job. Right? And so Jesus addresses Thomas in this moment. He says, come experience me. And then this is what he says to him. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You got to take it all, right? Some of your translations will say this. Stop doubting. How many of your translations say that? Stop doubting and believe. Right? Doubting implies a certain level of reservation about what one thinks. You have a doubt. But that's not what the Greek means right here. The Greek uses two words right here. And is the word for doubting is apistos, and it means unbelieving. And the other word is pistos, meaning believing. And what he says to him isn't stop doubting. He's saying, Thomas, you've seen this. You've claimed this. You've experienced this. Stop unbelieving. And believe. Stop unbelieving. And believe. Stop a pistos. And pistols. And Thomas said to him, This is what happens when you're exposed to God, you have an encounter with God. Your shortcomings and failures are confronted by God. This is what happens from a man that Jesus had said, stop a pistos, unbelieving, and start pistos, believing. This is what he responds to Jesus. These are the words. This is it. The only one to make this claim in all of the scripture in the, in the gospels. No one else says this. My Lord and my God. Make me like Thomas. Make me like Thomas.
These are the same words spoken in Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 and 11 regarding the 24 elders around the throne of God. This is what the scripture says. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. He uses the exact same words, the Greek words to express the sovereignty and the power of Jesus. They use the same words to express the sovereignty and power of God on the throne. Fools out there said, no, that's not what Thomas meant. He was just saying something along the lines of, oh my gosh. No, no, that's not what Thomas was saying. Thomas was making an absolute declaration. And the Greek confirms it. Thomas sees Jesus. And he says, my Lord and my God. That's a powerful stuff, Jack. That's a powerful stuff. And he says this after the resurrection, after Easter. Then Jesus told him, and he doesn't tell just him, but it's directed towards him. But it's one of those conversations, you know, you have this too, ain't you? One of those conversations, I've seen it down at the daycare. Kathy will call little Billy over there. Is Jeff up here? Jeff Dart, I was going to use his kid's name. Okay, there he is. Kathy will call little Josh over there. Josh will roll up on her with her eye, his eyes all brown. No, just. And Kathy will say something like this. She'll say, now Josh, Joshua, you, you know when kids are nice, they get to do the good thing. And when kids aren't nice, they get to do the boring timeout things. My dad used to say, when the kids are nice, they live. When they don't, they die, right? That's kind of a generational thing, right? Some of you have kind of come out of that, right? Yeah, I, I know who you are too, right? Now, Kathy will say those things, and it will be directed at Joshua. But it's said in the hearing for everyone. Because this is what Jesus says to Thomas. He says this, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But this is true of all of them, right? You remember? Easter morning. Remember when the word came back to him? No one was down with that. But then when they saw him, ball game changer. And then this is what he says to Thomas about you. Did you know he talked about you to Thomas? He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Why is Trent grinning? Jesus was thinking about you. Jesus was thinking about you, James. He was thinking about me. Ben, he was thinking about you. Jose, you know he was thinking about you? He was. Tink. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about you when no one else was. Old Doubting Thomas. Hmm. Pretty bold, pretty honest and transparent. And he was pretty resolved at the end of the game, wasn't he? Did you know of all the apostles, 
Thomas took the gospel further than anyone. Did you know that? Traveled the furthest. Was speared to death in India because he shared the gospel and would not worship idols. Died so far from home that his remains were collected by mere strangers and new converts. You don't travel to other countries giving your life away with a spirit of doubt. You don't take a spear to the chest because you won't bow down and worship an idol with doubt in your heart. I can only imagine, and you have to give me some liberty to assume this, or at least think this, that as that spear penetrated his chest cavity, that Thomas was thinking, my Lord and my God. And in a matter of minutes, he would find himself in the company of Jesus. And you can see Jesus and Thomas, right? Thomas, these look familiar. Once again, come on in. Come on in. I was down at the Hardin County Detention Center Thursday, down at the jail, as they might say, you know, down at the jail. And uh, going to visit a young man, they told me, he said, you got 15 minutes, 20 max. And you're going to have a, uh, what we call a glass visitation. Anybody know what a glass visitation is? Look, oh, come on. You don't know what a glass visitation is? You're like, no, if I raise my hand, somebody's going to think I've been in jail. <laughs> How many times have I got to tell you I know you people? I ain't raising my hand. They said it'd be a glass visitation. So I get down there, I sign in. They said 15, 20 minutes max. I get in there, I'm sitting with the guy, they bring him out, and they, they, they take me into a room, and it's not a glass visitation. It's what they call face-to-face. And they take me inside these little quarters down there where a door is open, I see 50 men in a room equipped for 38, 12 men sleeping on the floor. And he comes out with guards and other men serving food. They were so nice, they actually brought me a tray. They said, sir, would you like to eat lunch with us? I said, brother, I won't have to pass. It looked like a hybrid hamburger helper with a previous Tuesday's taco meat. I'm telling you, straight up. I, look, I say, hey, I appreciate it. I'm going to pass. Guy looked at me and said, hey, I understand. That's what he said. And I'm sitting right there. We're all in this area. They end up taking the guy that I was visiting after probably 30, 35 minutes. They take him to see the nurse because he's got a diabetic. He's gone for 20 minutes, so I'm in a room with, with, with uh, 49 other guys that I do not know eating lunch with them, right? They're coming in, coming out. I mean, people just sitting in, literally sitting in the floor beside me on a cot eating that hamburger helper. The other men are in this room. I can see right through the door periodically men would come to the door and if you've been down there, I think it's 416, I could be wrong, but I think it's 416 
As men would walk by that door, they would look out in that little room where, where, where clergy would come to visit. And you'd see them peek out that door. And they'd see them. And I'd look up at them. And they'd head dart back in. And then waiting for my friend to get back, they start serving lunch for everyone. They bring out a big card. It's got the 50 men, there's probably 75 of these trays. And they call men's name, I, I, I'm assuming it's in alphabetical order, before they even called the name. The guy that took his tray first was already up there. He knew where he was in the alphabet, right? He was up there first. He got his tray. And I could see him looking out at me. And when I look at him, Jim, at the moment that my eyes would catch his eyes, he would gaze at me for a second, then he just, you could see the shame. I'll tell you, that happened, I guess, 49 times. Man come up to get his lunch, and he would gaze out there, and he'd catch my eyes, and the shame. I could see the shame on them. Expose their life failures for a stranger sitting out there in a small room. He sees me. Gentleman comes up to me, extends his hand, large guy, and he says, to me, how you doing? And I put my hand out, shook his hand. I said, I'm assuming you're making the best of it down here. And he just smiled. He said, I like your shoes. I had on some of those black and white Nike Oreos. You know what I'm talking about, John? He said, I like them shoes. Them shoes 10 years old. Give them to me, brother. Jacob's brother, Gideon. 10 years ago when he worked up there at the shoes place. You know what I'm talking about, 10 years. He said, I like them shoes. I was like, your shoes about to pop off my feet. But I could see it. I could see it. I, you could see it on him. You could see it on every one of them. None of those guys wanted to be there, Jim. And the guy, the guy that I spoke to just sat there and wept. He said, I failed my family. I failed my wife. I failed my children. I have failed. You know what I said to him? I said, you have. You absolutely have but I failed too. And Jesus still loves you in the depth of your failure. And when I left there, I couldn't help care. There was a part of me that just felt so sad. You know, you go into a place like that, man, you're wanting to encourage people. You think, man, I'm going to come out just infused in the spirit where God's worked through me to love people. Man, I come out there, I was drained like a battery, man. I watched men sit on the floor and just gaze at a block wall for hours. That's what they do. That's what he told me. He said, man, people sit like for hours a day. But I will say to you, that 15, 20-minute visit lasted two hours. I went in at 10 o'clock. I didn't leave till 12, 13 when I got in my truck. The favor of God, I do believe, to have me interact with these gentlemen. I was never told, get out of here, man. Time's up. I believe that time had been established and ordained by God. But I don't know it's so much for them as it was for me. And when I was coming out of there, I was just kind of overwhelmed by the brokenness of people's lives. And I could envision these people, even when I got home that evening, it was kind of hard to shake it. Because I'm sitting there and I have freedom to do this, to do that. And I'm thinking about those guys who are sitting there still staring at that same wall that they were staring at when I left. And I thought, man, those jokers are imprisoned. Those jokers are confined. They don't understand freedom. But you know what, man? I go into places like this. 
I go into places like Walmart. I go into Lowe's. I go into restaurants. I go into places just like you go into places. And I see people with the same look on their faces. They're just as incarcerated. They're just as imprisoned. They're experiencing failure in their life on a level that they did not anticipate. And my message for people on the inside who are in prison and those who are on the outside who are imprisoned is the same message. And it's the Easter message. It's the message that led Thomas to the great declaration, my Lord, my God. And it's that this. The resurrected Jesus, the Easter Jesus, is enough, Greg, to transform your life and to completely and utterly liberate you from any physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological prison you find yourself in today. Because I can tell you this, you can be incarcerated physically and be 100% liberated. There are freer men behind bars than the men I encounter at some of these stores and restaurants and the open public that I encounter. That's Easter in its essence. Amen? Stand with me this morning. I just want to pray for you guys. I want to pray over you guys. And I want you, as you leave here, I want you to consider, consider, I know you've heard a lot, right? You've heard a lot, you've heard a lot this morning. You came in with, with maybe misconceptions about who Thomas was and that's something that you might, might not have wanted to affiliate yourself with, but I want you to leave today with a much better understanding. I want you to leave today saying, I, I want to be bold. I want to be honest and transparent. And I want an experience with God, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it exposes me, as long as it transforms me. I want to be like Thomas. I can't help it. I'm going to give me a shirt. I want to be like Thomas. And when someone asks why, I can tell them. You got 45 minutes? <laughs> Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you this morning. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. My Lord, my God. Thank you for his gift, his sacrifice. I thank you for the empty tomb. And his mercy, all oh, his mercy. I thank you for the gentleness in which he embraces us, even in our failed state, and he addresses the issues of our heart and our lives. Not just the shame, not simply to bring shame or guilt on, not, not that, not, that's not the mode, but it's to transform us. He wants to he wants us to see who we really are, to recognize what our need really is, and to be transformed by his provisions for that need, that being himself. Father, as we leave here, may we ponder these things. May it change our lives. We love you. We bless you. We thank you for Easter. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things. The sons and daughters of God said, amen.
Amen. Hold on just a moment. Do we have any announcements before we turn loose the locusts? Any? We're meeting downstairs. Hey, listen, empty eggs. Don't curse it. Bless it. All right.